0: Well it's so great to have you guys with us and joining in and obviously the next few weeks we're going to be together in this environment and we'll let you know about further Sundays as well and what's going to happen but we feel like this is the best environment Uh, more than just clicking on a YouTube link or a Facebook link. I think it is important for us to be in the same room together joining in together and uh, keeping on kind of this habit, this regular habit of gathering together weekly together as the church. So thanks for joining us today and we are excited about the coming weeks. In particular, we're excited about a couple things. One is next week, we are going to start the letter as a theme for us, the letter of Galatians in the New Testament. So really excited to take this as our winter theme and all the way basically up until Easter, we'll be walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I'm really excited as I've been digging into this a bit and looking forward to this kind of being our theme over us the next few months, couple months. But next week in particular, I'm really excited because we have a guest with us. Um, we're gonna have David Harvey with us. David is the lead pastor and teaching pastor at Westside King's Church in Calgary. Great guy. We've kind of connected a little bit and. He is uh, not only a pastor and teacher in a church, but he also has his PhD with a focus in Galatians. And so as we've been chatting together and, and kind of reaching out together, uh, me reaching out to him and us chatting a bit, he's actually gonna get us going in this series and th- as we start this letter. And so next week, he's gonna give us like a 30,000 foot, like what are we dealing with here? Who wrote it? Who's it to? Kind of laying kind of contextual background in the things that we should know as we jump into it so please be with us next week join in with us it's going to be an awesome time as he kind of shares and leads our community as we get the ball rolling and then in a couple weeks we'll start kind of chapter by chapter going through this letter together but you're not going to want to miss David next week so join in with us the zoom link will go out and practice weekly and we hope you can just join us the other thing is this week um, we are going to release a video in the coming days, uh, at some point this week, on our winter spiritual practice. If you know, every season we practice a spiritual discipline together. And so this winter, we're going to join in before, right up all the way up until Lent, so pretty much the next 45 days or so. are going to join in the spiritual practice of Lectio Divina. They're like, what's with the Latin words? Um, well, Lectio Divina pretty much just means spiritual reading. And so what we're going to be doing is engaging in Lectio Divina each and every single day for a number of days as our spiritual practice as a way to read the scriptures and engage them kind of on a spiritual reading type level. Many of you guys engage in Bible studies and different things and you read the scriptures for information, which is a good thing. There's actually, that's part of it. It's Many of you are wrestling through the context, and we do this on Sundays as well. Some of you do a yearly plan that you kind of plow through, which is awesome. It's so great. But one of the traditions in the church is Lectio Divina, this kind of spiritual reading of the scriptures where you come and you reflect and you meditate on the scriptures. And so, this week, we're going to send out a video that introduces that practice to our community and how to do it. And then, not tomorrow, but the following Monday, we're actually going to start this together. We'll have a reading plan uh, of a a text for each day, and that will also go out on our social media accounts and different things so that you can be up to speed. And then there'll be basically a five-step process that we walk through each day with those texts where we reflect and we meditate and then we rest. So... Look in your either your inbox or look on our social media this week, and we will get that to you just as a way to introduce this spiritual practice, and then we'll begin it next Monday. And hopefully you can just join us. If you're doing Bible reading plans, we don't we don't want you to stop that, but this is a way to take um, a text each day and just reflect and respond and meditate in that sense. So looking forward to that as well and just be look on the lookout for that. But with all that said, let's jump in. We're obviously starting this new teaching series next week, and we have this week here. And it's been really on my heart to kind of cultivate and to continue to develop. This eucharismatic type vision that we've been talking about the last few years. Now, many in our community, since we kind of relaunched in-person gatherings in the summer, are new. So you're like, u-charismatic. Like, what is this freak show, freak show church? Are they all of a sudden making words up or whatever? Well, it is true. You will not find the word u-charismatic in the English dictionary. It is a word that um, we have been using kind of to describe a vision that we want to embody as a church community specifically in our gatherings the word was actually created by a guy named andrew wilson he's a brit Great guy, wrote a book kind of outlining what a church could look like that's not only rooted in the great tradition of the church, but as well rooted um, in spiritual practice and uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, kind of a charismatic bent. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, it's basically the eucharismatic is a word that's mashed together that he created uh, using two words. One is Eucharist or Thanksgiving, as you know it. We know this as the Lord's table, kind of the Lord's Supper in our practice. And charismatic, uh, which uh, means grace or gift, and for us, we'll talk about this more again uh, in a minute. Uh, is more speaking of being open to the Holy Spirit, and so this has been fascinating because as we kind of turned into become an autonomous church a few years ago, I was really sensing and really picking up this word you charismatic, as a way that would lead our church. And now here we are a couple of years later, and I just don't want to talk about the pandemic for pandemic's sake. I think some of us are tired of that. But here we are two years later, and we've gone through a lot of disorientation. I think the Eucharismatic vision for the church is more applicable and more necessary than it's ever been than today. I really, and I want to revisit this, and I want to actually answer the why of this vision and why it's so applicable for 2022 and our cultural moment and where we're at. For us, You Charismatic has really meant three things, and this is review for many of you, but I want to, again, develop it a little bit more, but it involves three things. One is being rooted in the church tradition. Two, for us, it's meant being charismatic And I've already used this word once, and for some of you, it's just conjuring up things and past experiences, because that word I'm realizing means different things to different people. Don't worry, I left my flags at home. Actually, I'm I'm at home, so what do you do? But I don't have any flags, and I know some of you are working through maybe some of the baggage with kind of maybe your charismatic experiences. We'll talk about that in a minute, but we mean charismatic in the best sense, really an openness to the Holy Spirit. And then the third part of this is just being culturally engaged. Culturally engaged. Um, we just want to see these things work together, and I don't think there's any. Like I've already said it. I don't think there's any more better time and a greater opportunity to live this out than in a very disoriented cultural moment that we're going into in 2022 and all that we've seen and experienced the last couple of years. If you have a Bible, you want to open with me to Acts two. Let's just for a second look at the early church. This is the church uh, kind of after Pentecost. Uh, a number of people are meeting in an upper room, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and they're waiting in this upper room. And at the festival of Pentecost, this is what happened. Uh, the Spirit comes on the church that is waiting and believing, and they're empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in light of that, we get a picture at the end of Acts. This is very popular, familiar passage of what is happening now in the church because of the work of the Spirit, says this, verse 42 in Acts 2, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so this beautiful picture of what God is doing within these early Jesus followers and in these early communities Just to see their practices and their way of life together as uh, the spirit is kind of moving and working within them. And this, when I read this, uh, it just comes alive. My imagination actually comes alive in leading this community and where we want to go as a community in many of these practices coming to the surface. And how this fits kind of in this eucharismatic vision. Um. I really believe, again, there's no greater time than to look at this than now. And what I want to do is I just want to talk about these kind of three moving pieces in our You Charismatic Vision, and I want to tell you why I think they're more important than ever, why these particular things, this, these emphasis in our, in our community are more important than ever. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the first one, just being rooted in the church tradition. Okay, so this is very big for us because one of the things that I noticed is it's very easy, and especially as we were kind of rebranding and relaunching as Praxis Church, it's very easy to just think we got here on our own. You know, like sometimes it's just very easy in church planting, and I hear this a lot, a church gets on the scene and they've got a new way of doing things and it's really cool and really great. There's nothing wrong with that. And we tend to forget where we've come from. And so one of the big things for us in kind of launching as Praxis a few years ago was that we would just be rooted in a greater tradition, that there's actually two millennia of church history, two, two millennia, think about it, 2,000 years of church history and church mothers and fathers that have left us a particular way in which we follow Jesus and we have the Reformation. We have all these, these um, signposts throughout history that get us to where we're at today, And one of the things we've been saying is we just want to be a very rooted community. And this involves a few particular things. One, for us it's involved being dialed in and attentive and aware to the church calendar. Cam's actually going to throw it up here. You can throw it up, man, if you want. Um, may, many of you may not even know. You probably know if you've been a part of if you've been a part of our community for a while. But a lot of people don't know that there's actually a Christian church calendar that many many people follow, and it has the different seasons with Advent beginning, uh, be, being kind of the beginning of the church calendar, and into Christmas, and Christmas is 12 days, and then into this season of Epiphany that we're in right now, towards Lent and the preparation for Easter, and then obviously Easter is actually six weeks. It's six weeks long into Pentecost, and then you'll see there that the rest is ordinary time. And we've just really discovered that being cognizant and aware of the church calendar is an important piece of our story. Uh, so much so, if you're newer, a couple years ago, we actually took the, the the scriptures from the Revised Common Lectionary and followed the church calendar for an entire year for our teaching and went through each season from Advent to Christmas to Epiphany to Lent to Easter to Eastertide and so on. We went through it. You can go back and listen to all those if you're, if you're newer. But we've just really felt that being... At least aware of where and the seasons that we're in in the church calendar needs to be a part of our story. There's a, a few reasons for this. There's a few reasons as to why the church calendar is important. Let me share them with you quickly. One, it draws us into the story of God. So just like Israel practiced Passover every single year as a reminder... Whether or not our teaching is directly rooted in the particular season that we're in, we are always in our gathering making you aware of where we're at. Again, today I already said we're in the first week of Epiphany. It's a, it's a story-forming thing. It's drawing us continually into the story. Over and over every year, we're retelling and kind of reliving this story. And it's important that we have something draw us in. So you'll always hear us from week to week, let you know where we're at, what's coming, where we are at. We may be doing our own themes and different things, like we're going to be going through Galatians, like I said, but we will continually remind ourselves that we're in the season of epiphany, this great season, and what that means for us. The second thing about the church calendar, though, is it keeps us rooted in something bigger than ourselves. And I've already alluded that a lot of times, and I see it a little bit, like church plants get on the scene and with this amazing thing. And there's the cultural relevance piece and wanting to reach people and kind of the pragmatic side of things, which is, again, not bad. That's great. But we found that it's important even as a younger community. So like 95% of Praxis churches under the age of 40. We're still a young community and all that. But we need something that keeps us rooted in something that's bigger than ourselves. It is so easy for individual churches purely to think about themselves. We're kind of drawn into the calendar as a way to say we're part of something historic and rooted and something bigger than ourselves. And then thirdly, with the church calendar, it gives, I love this, it gives us sustainability in an unstable world, right? It gives us a sense of sustainable sustainability in a world, let's be honest, that's pretty drunk on euphoric one-off events, right? We get so excited in culture but the one-off event that's just going to change me. And we say kind of no to that. We actually say that there's something bigger and better. And it's the seasons of the church calendar. In a culture that's drunk on one-off things, one-off events that will change us. We say, no, we're being drawn into a story and into seasons that remind us. So Christmas is actually 12 days, not just one exciting day. It's actually 12 days in the church calendar. Easter is not just one Resurrection Sunday morning. is as important that as Resurrection Sunday morning is. It's actually a six-week celebration tide is. These things shape us. So really the first part of being rooted for us has always been being more aware of the church calendar. The second thing in that, though, like the rooted piece... Is continually being drawn into common prayers and readings in our gathering. Uh, I don't know if you notice this. I think I've said this. I've said this before many times. But in that Acts two verse that we opened up with that passage, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. That's what it says in our English translations. But probably the, a lot of people would say the better translation is that they devoted themselves to the prayers, meaning. There is the potential. We don't know this for sure, but there is the potential that there was scripted prayers. I do. Do I know that for sure? I don't know that for sure, but I have a hunch that the early communities were so unified that there were scripted things. I think of the way in which letters were written. I. I I'm almost sure. That there were, were ways in which communities would actually pray scripted prayers together. And this is something we've kind of leaned into, especially the last few years. We read every single week, and we've already done it here, the psalm from the common lectionary as a way to corporately pray the psalms together. And you'll notice throughout our gatherings, we'll often have a call to worship that's scripted. We'll have other prayers by church mothers and fathers and drawn from different places that come up on the screen and we actually read it together. Why? Because there's a a unifying piece. Certainly we pray off the cuff and we're spontaneous in our prayers, but we cannot neglect the kind of corporate kind of unifying piece that scripted prayers bring. Uh, I've been telling a lot of people, I've just been really, my imagination has really got going through the writing of a gal named Tish Warren. She's an Anglican priest, just, just a, I would say a master writer, really enjoyed her work, and was just reading her most recent book, Prayers in the Night, and this is what she says. She addresses this idea of kind of liturgical prayer. She says this, When we pray the prayers we've been given by the church, the prayers of the psalmist and the saints, the Lord's prayer and the daily office, wait. We pray beyond what we can know, believe, or drum up in ourselves. Other people's prayers, she says, disciplined me uh, and discipled me. They taught me how to believe again. They s- swept uh, the sweep of church history, exclaims Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, that the law of prayer is the law of belief. We come to God with our little belief, however fleeting and feeble, and in prayer, we are taught to walk more deeply in truth. She goes on and says this, When my strength waned and my words ran dry, I needed to fall into a way of belief that carried me. I needed other people's prayers. And listen, we all come to our gatherings weekly, waned and worn out. And how, I just think, how much we need, yes, prayers of spontaneity, sure, but how much we need other people's prayers, how much we actually need this. So we have the church calendar and the rooted piece, we have these scripted prayers and readings, and then, of course, another piece in this is just the sacraments, that every single week, we come to the crescendo of our gathering To the table. That's really. It's not about somebody speaking or leading worship. We need all those things, but really, the the place where we uh, encounter God is through bread and the cup. That every single week, and I know it's like little wafers right now. It's pretty sanitary and cups of grape juice right now. But this is a way for us just to be reminded that we taste salvation salvation and the saving work of God is not just something we kind of mentally assent to it's not something we just know in our mind we actually taste it we take Jesus word seriously and we take the things from the vine and the ground and we consume them as a way to remember Jesus and so this rooted piece is really really big but the question you know you've heard this many of you you've been around for a while why 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 would we be attentive to the church calendar? Why baptism and um, the Lord's Supper? Every, you know, every week and baptism week, are, you know, observe a lot in our story. Why these things? Why the scripted prayers? Well, it's because our moment of like being instant and having instant information and the fast-pacedness of our world and having every really answer we ever need in our pocket needs something real and sustainable. Our world, this is what we have to offer. We have something to offer that's counterformational. We get to offer something real. Not fast-paced, not over-promising, but something that's rooted in thousands of years that says we're gonna slow down and we're gonna reflect and we're gonna engage in this and we're gonna give the world that something is real and sustainable together. That's why. That's why we're rooted. I look at just like the, the our hyper productive kind of culture and on to the next thing type of culture. We resist that. We resist that. We slow down. We say, no, no, we're rooted in something bigger and better. So that's kind of the first piece of this you charismatic vision, the rootedness, and that's why. The second piece is charismatic, right? We've talked a little bit about this. Now, I've already prefaced. I know there's so many kind of disclaimers, but I know the baggage that comes with this. And I know that some of us have grown up environments where it has all been all, when we talk about an openness to God's spirit, it has been all about the sideshow. And I get it. There's difficulty there for some of you to even use this word. And I'm empathetic in that space because I know, I've seen this, right? I've experienced this myself. But I'll just say this. You know, we're very shaped by the Enlightenment, the Reformation, and the Enlightenment a few hundred years ago. And we have to be honest, for most churches in the West, the Trinity for us is Father, Son, Jesus, and the third piece of the Trinity for us is Holy Bible, or Holy Information. We just get obsessed with information, and this has led, even through like 20th century theologians and scholars, textual criticism, all this, just to be really obsessed with information and knowing our Bibles and I'm brothers and sisters. I'm not against that. I've put lots of time and money and energy into coming around a contextual understanding of the scriptures. And I love that. And that's really it. That forms and shapes our teaching. There's no doubt about that. But I sense that we, at times it's been easy in our rational Western kind of shaping to miss even what Jesus says about the Holy spirit and the posture of being open to the Spirit. First of all, we have Paul as well, like all over the place talking about the gifts of the Spirit being enacted and working within the community. But listen to Jesus' own words. This is what he says. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live, Jesus says. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be uh, loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. But then Jesus says this, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be Afraid. And so Jesus here going to the cross is like, I is very clear. I am leaving you the advocate. I'm leaving you my spirit that will lead and guide. And this is in my spirit is how you will cultivate life with me, both as individuals and within the church community. And we are so stuck on. Well, like a Jesus-centered movement, which is good. I'm all for that. Like the Jesus collective and Jesus-centered movements that are popping up, I'm all for that. But what about a Holy Spirit-centered type of movement? Because Jesus himself said, I am not going to be here in your physical space in, in flesh and blood much longer. I'm leaving you with my, with my spirit. And so this, the charismatic side for us is is a big one. Yes, we want to be rooted in the church tradition, but we also want to be very open to the Holy Spirit. And this is not a denominational thing or past experience thing. This is just a posture in which we want to take. And why? Well, think about it. Jesus' kingdom work took place not, listen, he, oh, maybe we need more time for this. Jesus' kingdom work did not take place because he was superman. It took place because the scriptures and the gospel writers would let us know that he was filled with the spirit, right? And the church has the very same access to that very same spirit of God. And we can't do anything without the spirit of God working in our community and us coming with an open posture to that. And so there is spontaneity and there is an openness and we do believe in the gifts of the spirit and we do believe that God moves and works in people. And we, yeah, this is just a part of our story and there's no apologies here. And so maybe people have had bad experiences. We want to temper that. Like, I think we use this word charismatic kind of with like restrictions and with the seatbelt on in the sense of like, we're not swinging from chandeliers and we're not crazy, but we want to model a type of of community that is deeply and desperately open to the work of the Spirit of God. And that's what I would define as charismatic as best as I can. So you're rooted. That's the one piece. The second piece is kind of the charismatic piece. And then the third piece, I, I don't like the word contemporary by any means. And obviously we um we got to maybe push back against pragmatism a bit but i do think this third piece is important and it's simply being culturally engaged now again i think we've seen in the western moment the last number of years people try and do things to like grow the church or engage culture um, that can kind of come across cheesy or out of even out of touch over time, right? Like we've just seen like sometimes pragmatism in the church has been at all costs. We need to get people in. We need to be growing. We need to be going to the next thing, going to the next level, right? Like all this stuff. Um, while I don't think we necessarily need to be pragmatic, one of the things we're definitely dialed in here on is being culturally engaged being culturally engaged. We want to have like a culturally engaged posture. Uh, One of the places to look at this is just through the life of a guy named the Apostle Paul who wrote a large part of uh, the New Testament. You know, one of the things you could ask of the Apostle Paul is, did Paul preach the gospel? And the answer to that question, of course, obviously is yes. But what's fascinating about Paul and especially his second missionary journey is he, and I, I've done a bit of work on this. You've heard me talk about it in the past. He goes to different places, different cities, and brings the gospel to bear there. But he does it in very different ways. We always want to say things like, well, the early apostles, they just preached the gospel. They just you know, took the gospel as though they had no cultural comprehension of what was going on around them. And I just want to tell you, that's not true. They were deeply dialed into their cultural moment. And Paul's a great example of this. Specifically, when you look at Paul's second, second missionary journey, when he goes to places like Philippi and Ephesus and another place in Acts chapter 17 called Athens. I'm not going to read it here, but if you read in Acts 17, verses 16 to 34, you see Paul go to Athens. Now, a little bit of background on Athens because there's some stuff to learn here. It was the heart of philosophy. Paul went to the Areopagus, which was like a meeting place on a hill northwest of the Acropolis. And there, you, if you know the city of Athens, the Athenians were all about sophistication and intellect. It was all brothers and sisters about Greek philosophy. This is what, this, this is what ran the, the city. Philosophy, Greek rhetoric, kind of engaging in intellect in that way. And so when you read in Acts 17, what does Paul do? He doesn't go on like a, a a rock and just like start yelling at people like our for conclusion our foregone conclusion of kind of what the gospel is kind of in the western world, you know where it's it's all kind of just like information it's kind of it's all kind of one particular direction. he actually he does he doesn't do that he doesn't even actually hear in the text he doesn't even. Uh, call people necessarily at this point to repent from their sins and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that I'm just saying it's fascinating that Paul goes in he philosophizes and what does he do he speaks their language but in light of God's work in the world he actually speaks their language in light of God's work um, one thing I love about the Apostle Paul is some people would call him a third cultured kid so he was a Hebrew right knew he grew up Jewish In the Sanhedrin, like the highest level of education, he also, though, spoke Koine Greek, like the street language of the day. So he had all of these things kind of going for him. He was Hebrew. He understood that world. He spoke Koine Greek, and it just helped shape him. And he was a Roman citizen, which was massive, that kind of third part in his life where he was given certain opportunities because of that status. Crazy to think, here he goes, he speaks the language of the Athenians. One scholar says, rooted in Old Testament ideas, Paul appealed to the Greek philosophers by interacting with their thought, even quoting their own writers in a well-informed, respectful way. Its main subject, Paul's was, was the error of their idolatry. Going and talking about their, the idol- the kind of the idolatry, idolatrous kind of posture that they're coming from. So when you read it, this is what you'll notice. This is what Paul does. He starts with creation. He doesn't even say the name Jesus, which is for another time and place and space, another teaching series, right? Or a sermon or whatever, And this is what he does. He goes in and he actually quotes their own poets. Now, for many of us that grew up in the church in the 80s and 90s, there was this kind of song we sang. And there was a line in it that went, in him we live and move and have our being. And everybody just sang it. In him we live and move and have our being. You know what's fascinating about that? That was not Paul's own words. Paul was actually quoting the Athenians. That was actually a hymn to Zeus that they would sing and say in their culture. In in him we in Zeus we live and move and have our being. Paul comes in and says, "No, no, no." no. In Yahweh, the God of the Bible that we know, in him we live and move and have our being. You picking it up, you feeling it, Paul actually takes their own things, their own language, their own ideas, and kind of puts it through the funnel of the kingdom of God and who God is, right? In him we live and move and have our being. Oh, in him we live and move and have our being. I just think it's so funny. I'm not sure the the church I grew up in the 90s, they knew they were actually originally uh, taking a hymn that was sung to Zeus and they're singing in church and obviously now we kind of reclaim it as Christians. It's amazing. Then Paul goes even farther and says, for we are his offspring. This as well was a poem to another Greek god by the Stoic poet Aratus. We are his offspring. And Paul takes it and says, no, no, no. In light of what God is doing in the world, we are his offspring. Okay, so you picking up what I'm putting down? The cultural awareness of Paul. Paul didn't have to be pragmatic as much as he was in culturally engaged. And so, what does the Holy Spirit do in Athens? The Holy Spirit actually empowers Paul to meet the people where they were, but with a better story. The Athenians said, we have our poets, and Paul says, yo, like we have a better story. The narrative in uh, Athens was, we worship anything and everything. There was even an altar there with uh, uh, that was kind of to an unknown god because they worshiped the pantheon. And the counter-narrative that Paul brought is that Jesus is the source of everything. In him we live and move and have our being. And so Paul, over and over, models a particular way in which he is culturally engaged and bringing a better story to bear. Now, why? Why is this important? Why would this be part of our you charismatic? kind of vision for our church and why is this like actually important in 2022 i'm glad you asked let me tell you because every generation needs a church that meets them where they're at and it's not about pragmatics as much as it's about being culturally engaged we need just like paul did to meet people where they're at and so that's what we do I think of the type of community that we want to become. Certainly we want to be rooted and open to the spirit, committed to the scriptures, all of that. But we're also, I would say, laid back in some ways in our approach to engaging people. I think of our amazing kids' lessons and and kids' experiences it's phenomenal, you know, and this is part. Of, this is partly why I've been like a little bit disappointed um, how slow it's been for people to return back. Because every Sunday I walk through our kids' experiences, and I think how amazing this is, the cultural relevance, the engaging of our kids, the amazing leaders in these experiences. We have a bounce castle, and it's not just all about the bounce castle, but fun and exciting and engaging environments for kids to be discipled in and to engage in. It's it's. This is the type of thing we want to do. We want to engage culturally. I think of our youth community doing so many amazing things and the team doing such a great job with them. We want to be culturally engaging. And this is why as well every fall we do a theme or a teaching series that's thinking about our cultural reality and where we find ourselves as Christians and as a church in our moment. A few years back, we did a series called From Redemption to Recycling, looking at all sorts of things, including sexuality and money and power and creation care and creationism. And I just think of all the different things that that we looked at. Politics, important, engaging things that we're trying to engage with to invite people into a discussion with us. A couple years ago, a couple falls ago, we did a series called Dear Wormwood, where we took C.S. Lewis' book, um, The Screwtape Letters, and we just kind of applied it to our moment and our cultural moment and what it meant and what the scriptures talk about as far as just connecting all together for where we were a couple years ago. Then this fall, we did a series called Is It Worth It? Looking at whether or not after being kind of home for a couple years of, you know, whether or not the church is actually worth it in our moment. These are the types of things when we think about cultural engagement we want to engage in. And why? Because every generation needs a church that meets them where they're at, that can remain orthodox in a sense to those that have gone before us and rooted in the great tradition, but also can be who we are, right? Can also be posture ourselves in a way that is engaging the people and our world around us, not afraid of the world, but actually engaging it. And so here's the tendency, and we've talked a little bit about this. That kind of gives a why for now and for this season, but the tendency is for churches to really embody one of these things. So I know a lot of churches that are really rooted in the tradition and they follow the church calendar and they do all of that and that's wonderful. But there's not a very much of an open posture to the spirit and there at times really isn't a cultural engaging posture as well. I know a lot of people who are charismatic To the point where it's almost like being rooted or thinking about tradition at all is a bad thing because the spirit of God's moving and working so much. And all it is is about the Holy Spirit. And it kind of, as we've talked, kind of turns into a sideshow or a gong show on the side. And a lot of times those churches are, are neither rooted nor are they culturally engaged. Then there's a lot of people and a lot of communities that are culturally engaged. It's very pragmatic. It's about like how can we reach people, which is not a bad posture, And there's a lot of thought into how we make things cool and relevant and so on and so forth. And none of that is bad, but a lot of times there's no rootedness and there really isn't maybe an open posture to the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to embody all three of these things. And I actually think it's possible. I think this is possible for our community to be rooted, to be open to the spirit, to be culturally engaged. Listen to Andrew Wilson, this vision that he gives in his book and Let's kind of land the plane here. I think this is a great space for us as we think through the type of people we want to become. He says this, I invite you to imagine such a church encountering the delights of embodied worship for the first time. Imagine people rediscovering the power of symbols, water, bread, wine, and oil. Picture them reinventing their liturgy to include biblical elements they have missed and finding depths to the gospel they have almost forgotten. Imagine the snowball gaining momentum as they use monks to help them pray and martyrs to help them sing. They start to read books by dead people and find that they are more alive than many of the books by living people. They catechize their families. They rejoice in the sacraments. They do things that do things. Then he says, imagine them drenched in the Holy Spirit, prone to spontaneous outbursts of praise and the kind of joy that makes people spin. They begin to heal the sick. They read Psalm 150 and actually, they actually do it. They cast out demons when needed. They use spiritual gifts in meetings, not just the leaders, but everyone. They shout sometimes and dance sometimes. They laugh like children. They pray as if the lion of Judah is on the edge of his seat, hands raised, ready to pounce They expect God to speak to them at home or in the office. Their meetings look more like African weddings than English funerals. Now put all of this together and imagine a service that includes healing testimonies and prayers of confessions, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, baptism in water and baptism in the spirit, creeds that move the soul and rhythms that move the body. Imagine, imagine young men and women seeing visions and old men and women dreaming dreams, sons and daughters prophesying and all of them coming to the same table and then going on their way rejoicing. This is the type of thing that gets my imagination going And the type of church, really, that I think 2022 actually needs. People are exhausted, right? People are exhausted from the overload of information. People need an encounter with a God, I think, through a church that keeps them deeply rooted, keeps them open to God's spirit, and also helps them continue to become engaged with the people around them. When I hear these words, I think of a community that can blend these things together. God, may it be. May this be our story. And may we be a community that's open and willing and and ready to be this type of people. Whether we're in our homes in lockdown or we're gathering regularly together on Sundays and in our communities. May we be the type of people, the community of people that's ready for this. May it be. I'll close with this as we go today. Just a a prayer from the common book of prayer. I pray this over you, brothers and sisters, as we go. I know it's an interesting time right now for us, but as we go, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders of, He has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Brothers and sisters, I pray grace and peace on you and on us as we enter into this new season and as God leads you to the places and spaces he's put you. May we go in his love today.